0: Welcome to the American Reformer Podcast, promoting a vigorous Christian approach to the cultural challenges of our day and rooted in the rich tradition of Protestant social and political thought. Hosted by Josh Abitoy and Ben Dunson.
1: Welcome. Uh, this is the American Reformer Podcast, and since this is our first podcast, Uh, We are going to introduce um, the two hosts this morning, myself and Joshua Abatoy. Josh is the executive director of American Reformer, so I wanted to give him a chance to introduce himself and and tell us a little bit about
0: his background. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Good morning to the audience. Uh, I joined American Reformer a little bit over a year ago from a career in law and private equity Um, you know I was uh, frankly had my head down at a desk uh, working long hours uh, making good money and watching our country fall apart um, watching uh, churches across the country struggling with the challenges that we have in our current cultural environment and I um, I felt compelled to to join something that was uh, join an organization that was devoted to uh, turning the tide. Uh, became aware of American Reformer's work uh, in the fall of twenty one. Got synced up with uh, uh, some of the co founders and and you, Ben. And one thing led to another. And uh, in October of twenty one, found myself found myself working at American Reformer. Um, unlike you i'm not uh not not as academically uh trained or inclined although i've been a long time amateur enjoyer of theology especially public theology um and uh you know but uh but we do we do a lot of stuff and i'm as an executive director i'm uh you know uh helping to do fundraising helping with strategic direction and uh events and things like that um but then most crucially, I run uh, a reform initiative, which I can talk to a bit, perhaps down the line. Yeah,
1: and you uh,
0: and you had a, uh, an
1: academic uh, trajectory that you um, were pursuing as well before <laughs> uh, before law school, right? Uh, so, it's, so it's not completely outside your your background.
0: Fair, fair. I'm a I'm a recovering academic. I I was in a PhD program and just just wrapped it up after I got my master's and uh, went to the dark side to go to law school. Uh, instead so yeah I, I got a master's in uh medieval and byzantine studies from uh, catholic university in dc yeah well that's yeah. uh that's
1: that's fun stuff in itself yep um so law school uh it's still the the life of the mind um uh, as well so yeah you, uh, but actually get to be a bit more uh active uh, in, in life as well
0: yeah it, it um actually it stunned me coming from you know a uh coming from a liberal arts field and going to law school, I went to law school in like 2012. And one of my strongest memories is, uh, you know, in the humanities, uh, I was surrounded by critical theory. It was really the predominant theoretical approach that most of the younger scholars used in my field. And, you know, um, what you'd hear when you went to a a conference in your academic space. And uh, still remember to this day in 2012, You know, at Harvard Law School, so not a conservative institution, but, um, you know, I had uh, I had classmates using critical theory from the floor of the classroom and the professors who were you know, lefties would would shut it down and, you know, say things like, essentially, um, this is, you know, this profession is law. And in this profession, we have to proceed as if reasons matter. We have to proceed as if language means something. It actually has a referent. If we don't have that assumption, our profession falls apart. And I remember just being incredibly refreshed with that observation and sort of thinking, wow, you know, here, here I found a discipline, uh, surely, you know, here I found a discipline that can't uh, go woke or be entirely corrupted.
1: And so that was just 10 years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing how much has changed since then. Yeah, uh, those those people, I guess, are still on some faculties, but they're they're either silent or uh, have been pushed down or retired probably at this point.
0: Yeah, in many cases or, you know, or acquiesced to the. Yeah, that's uh, true. Acquiesced. Um, well, then maybe you should uh, tell the audience a little bit about about yourself.
1: Yeah, so I am. A, a new testament scholar by by training um, and i'm a, a presbyterian minister in the uh, presbyterian church in america i um, might be seemed to be doing something a little bit outside my my area um, in that our focus is politics and culture and, and things like that i have i've taught bible and and theology on the college and seminary level for a little over a decade and i i love doing that but i also like you have become very concerned with uh, where things are heading in our country and um, kind of a a similar trajectory where i uh, began pursuing uh, you know uh, options to see how I can do something about that. And um, also got in touch with uh, the, the founders of American Reformer. And one thing led to another and um, started to pursue the idea of a journal. And there was always, from the beginning, there was always the idea that there that would be a, a written component to this, but that there would also be a component that was Action-oriented, which of course you are heading up, and uh, and those things needed to go hand in hand. So that's been something that's been really um, neat about this whole project is is trying at least not to simply talk a- and be theoretical, uh, but to to do something in in the real world. Um, so I I um, I transitioned into this role as editor, I still do a bit of teaching uh, on the side. I'm a visiting professor of New Testament at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And so I, I still get to keep my hand in that, which I, I appreciate. But my, my main job now is to oversee the, the journal for American Reformer, and that means, um, getting writers and editing the journal. And uh kind of overseeing the the editorial tone of the journal and and uh, that's been great experience over the the last year and a half or so
0: yeah and it's it's really i mean I don't I'm biased but it does seem to me like um in the last year and change that that American reformer has really um gotten to the center of uh the discourse with evangelical leaders really had the uh had an ability to move the conversation. Um I think of you know articles on topics like you know revisiting um you know Tim Keller's cultural engagement models, right? Or um some articles reevaluating uh the faithful presence model, um, evangelical embarrassment uh, there's been some really or or you know uh, actually one of the big ones stop finding your identity in Christ very provocative articles that um, pastors seminary and seminary professors are reading talking about chewing on um, we don't you know we, there's not a lot of sacred cows we'll take on very tough topics and you know uh, oftentimes from pretty unique angles that uh, really don't get covered elsewhere that I'm aware of. Yeah, no, I think that's been right. Uh, We've,
1: uh, we've had some fun stirring things up over this last year and uh, I guess it's, I mean, really, it's a a good kind of uh, transition into to asking you specifically, you know, what, what your, your role is at American Reformer. You're the executive director kind of getting into uh, that,
0: that activist side and and how you've been heading that Mm -hmm. up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the role, I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of like a, you know, operations, right. Overseeing that, um, you know, you, you run the journal editorially. I kind of, you know, try to, try to do things like, you know, keep the website up to date, uh, you know, uh, fundraising, keep the lights on and run, run some of our strategic initiatives. Um, Really much of our work just falls under an umbrella that we call reform. Um, What does this mean? I mean, we're making an argument in our pages and in our reform uh, silo, we are taking action. Um, And usually what this means is partnering with stakeholders at important Christian institutions who are seeking to reform those institutions and finding ways to come alongside them and help them. this is a good in and of itself uh faithful christians need to learn how to uh win institutional struggles um maintain mission fidelity uh we just ne- we need to get more savvy about institutions in general what are they how to use them how to keep them how to how to help them flourish um so some of this work is you know uh i mean sometimes i talk to pastors who are you know working on very discreet issues maybe um you know there's there's drift in their denomination or in their in their church group and they're trying to figure out what to do and how to how to uh how to push their their organization towards faithfulness um that's on a more maybe a more activist side of things but sometimes this work is very constructive right um sometimes i've you know, had had the opportunity to go speak to boards or to, um, you know, individual directors of Christian institutions um, who are looking out at the world and just want want somebody who uh, want want to consult with an organization with people who uh, see a lot of this and talk to Christian leaders every day and have a finger on the pulse of uh, what other institutions are doing and what what would be prudent right now. Um, maybe it's even just you know, responding to. Um, breaking news, responding to challenges that are in our current uh, that are just current hot topics in society. Um, so, you know, I, I'm a Southern Baptist. I neglected to mention that in my intro, but um, very reform-minded there. And and sometimes these reform topics find their way into our journal, right? So um, we ran a piece on Grove City um, that was uh, investigating a debate that sort of arose between grove city's administration and a group of stakeholders and grassroots activists and that that article we don't often run exposes um, but the and it, that article wasn't exactly an expose either but but it was a it was more of a news cycle dependent article you know it, it, it delved into facts and circumstances and it it really after we wrote that, it, it really kicked off uh, a storm of media coverage and conversation. And, you know, at, coming out of writing that article, um, have been consulting with some of the stakeholders at Grove City around, uh, around the situation. And that um, culminated last spring in the Grove City Board uh, conducting an investigation into CRT and Mission Drift. At the school, they did a really exemplary investigation um, found that there was some c r t in the school stated that it wasn't consistent with the school's mission, and you know gave remedial steps that the administration ought to pursue um and that that was very gratifying it's not it's not often that you see i mean it's it's a tough you know boards boards don't like doing that um they don't often do that. It's, it's really an extraordinary thing. And, um, you know, we're, we're continuing to consult there to this day. Um, you know, the, uh, many of the stakeholders are, uh, not yet satisfied with the progress that's been made relative to what the board wanted. And so continuing to, uh, to be engaged in that situation and, 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 and help as we can. Um, last thing I'll mention is, uh, we, we ran a pilot of a fellowship program last summer and it went really well. Um, and we're going to do more of it. So this was our cotton Mather fellowship. Cotton Mather is, uh, really kind of an incredible American, just polymath, a man of action, a man of learning, um, you know, wrote, uh, you know, wrote, uh, quite a bit pastored a church, uh, for most of, most of his life in Boston, um, had a hand in founding Yale, uh, invented the smallpox vaccine and presided over the Salem witch trials. Um we don't have time and Klein on here so we can't hash out whether that's uh you know whether it's a pro or a con to be in the Salem witch trials. But uh Right. We'll, the, uh, we'll the, just, uh, the, the, we'll just mention nodulation. that for the sake of historical uh comprehensiveness. But but yeah this 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 fellowship has been um we we uh we find uh you know, young Christian leaders, uh, some are academic and, and some are, uh, folks who, who might pursue ministry. Um, and we, uh, run through a great academic program. Um, you and I are both involved. Colin Redimer, uh, leads it, uh, leads the curriculum and, uh, just great, really talented young men who, um, I think we're confident are going to go on to do really incredible work and, uh, and we have them uh you know i think i think have an opportunity to shape their thinking about institutions about politics and culture from the journal side um yeah. and so we're we're really looking forward to building out you know a, a network of uh of rising christian leaders uh who who have that formation in place
1: yeah i can definitely vouch for that because we had several of them writing for us yeah. and and they wrote some really outstanding articles um and i've been very impressed with their their abilities and their their knowledge their knowledge uh some of those guys their knowledge of of american history is uh, pretty astounding and um and then you know their their attempts to see how christian truth can it can come to bear on on issues of of state and culture and things like that been very impressed with that. So yeah, so we've got we've got that reform side of American Reformer, and then I'm editing the journal. I Just thought I'd say uh, a few words about what we're trying to do with with the journal. I think um, Christians, evangelical Christians, probably struggle quite a bit with. Trying to figure out how to keep together spiritual interests and uh, and earthly interests, and here I, I don't even mean interests like oh that's my hobby. I just mean spiritual things and and earthly things. It's kind of a struggle for a lot uh, people. tend to fall down on one side or the other in a way that uh, is not always biblical, not always helpful. They 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 struggle to to see rightly so that salvation is the most important thing you know, our salvation in christ our eternal life that matters more than anything else i, I was just reading today actually in, in augustine in the city of god and um, he was he was laying out some some different aspects of what what the uh, the philosophers of his day thought was a a good and healthy commonwealth or republic and and he agreed with them partially but he he noticed that they they just fundamentally don't understand eternal life how how could they they they, they've not been born again to eternal life and so they they miss what is most important which is eternal life in christ and um and yet he 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 argues very um eloquently for the fact that christians uh, would make good citizens they they would be able to contribute to a genuinely healthy republic and all the more so because they they know god and they they know god's word and so i saw that that's an example of of a very influential figure in church history who was able to to hold those two together even to to put eternal life and and, and spiritual things in in the rightful place of primacy but not doing so to the neglect of earthly life we still live here on this earth we still have responsibilities in in life responsibilities toward our families towards our neighbors our communities our churches our nations and so on the uh, the, the example i i really like to give of this that that i think is really helpful for kind of showing what we're trying to do is the, the Scottish Presbyterian Samuel Rutherford, kind of a, a polymath in, in many ways. And this is a um, kind of a towering figure of 17th century Scotland. Uh, he was at one point the, um, the either the rector or the, the vice chancellor, I forget which uh, title they used uh, at the time for the University of St. Andrews and he was a pastor. He was a preacher. Uh, he's he's most famous, I think, today for extracts from his letters, which, when you read those, they are they're so focused on Christ and on um, the the joys of knowing Christ and the, the anticipation of heaven that you could almost get the feeling this is this kind of a, a kind of Presbyterian mystic. He just uh, kind of has his head in the sky, and um, and uh, you, you wonder, uh, how could anyone like this care about anything on earth? It just seems like anything earthly would just sully him when you read those letters. But, of course, this is the same man who wrote Lex Rex, uh, which is one of the most influential Protestant political treatises um, ever written, and it was a, a very... Uh, influential treatise, even on uh, the the development of Republican government up to the point of the American Revolution. Um, it was a work that was read by the founders, it was uh, known to them. And there wouldn't really be an American Revolution if um, if he hadn't uh, very powerfully articulated those principles, and he wasn't doing that completely from scratch but um but but he certainly articulated that in a powerful way that idea that the king is not an absolute authority that he is also someone who's subject to god and that there are various checks on his power and um and that that is something that um, can can rightfully give the people recourse when there there is tyranny at the highest level um, so, mm-hmm. Rutherford the the, the Presbyterian uh, mystic um, who who rightfully prioritized Christ and and eternal life in Him, also argued very very strongly for uh, an engaged populace that took political thought very seriously, and not just political thought, but political action. Um, had he not. Been in such ill health towards the end of his life, and 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 conveniently, I guess for himself, died. Um, he <laughs> almost certainly would have been uh, either burned at the stake or uh, or killed in some other sort of gruesome fashion. So, so so trying to 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 show Christians an example in the journal of of you know, robust Christian thought that holds together. Um, those two aspects of, of what it means to be a Christian, living for eternal life, but also living in the world in which God has placed us in those responsibilities. And that's one of the, the the major things that I've been trying to do uh, with the journal.
0: Yeah. And, and Ben, let me just ask. I mean, we're we uh, you cited Rutherford, Presbyterian. We're called American Reformer. Um, are we, you know, is our... What is our audience? Is it primarily? Is it well, largely reformed people? Is it primarily coming from a reformed perspective?
1: Yeah, it's been an interesting uh, kind of mix of of people. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that it actually is all uh, reformed. Certainly, it's not because we've gotten some pretty uh, interesting engagement from from a pretty broad spectrum, uh, Baptists. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had um, many Baptist readers, but also writers, uh, Lutherans. Same, um, not as many writers maybe that are Lutheran, but we've had several. And um, and then so we've had some Lutheran readers. Um, we've had Presbyterian readers, Anglican uh, readers. So we've had a, a pretty wide spectrum. I think there's even uh, the, the the occasional Roman Catholic that's reading what we're writing mm-hmm. and uh, and engaging with it. Um, so
0: that's, uh, that's been, I think I saw fun. it the other day. I think I saw that Gladden Pappin, uh, uh, was engaging with, uh, with an article by Tymon Klein, uh, so, so sort of a Protestant, uh, a Catholic integralist.
1: Yeah. Was, yeah. So that, that was interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's, uh, it's been, it's been a pretty, uh, interesting assortment of, of readers, um, who are, who are coming in. So I think, uh, we're. We're succeeding what we were set out to do, which was not specifically just to articulate reformed theology, although um, certainly, you know, the kind of key doctrines of the Protestant Reformation, we're not going to be publishing things that try to subvert those. Um, But but we do have a, a pretty wide audience, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and 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 something you you just brought up um, in some ways is a, is a good segue into uh, another focus, which is, and we've mentioned this, but we're not just academic. Um, we're we're trying to straddle a few worlds, and and part of the way we do that is by having things that are written that are oriented toward action as well. You know, we we recognize that both are important. Ideas matter. But ideas are worthless if they're not being implemented. But at the same time, if you're just trying to do things, if you just become like a complete and absolute pragmatist, then um, you, you know you're likely to to go astray as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you you've written a lot of really good stuff that um, is very much oriented towards action, and uh, and we've had other authors who've who've done similar things. Um, recent article on on transgenderism and and a new law that mm. has taken effect in california uh, on um uh, which threatens to potentially allow um minors to uh, chemically or physically be mutilated without their parents even knowing about it yeah. and uh, and and that article was arguing for christians needing to wake up and, and figure out how to deal with that maybe even to the level of trying to figure out how to Create something like a, an underground railroad to to get mm-hmm. these children out of harm's way, so so we've got a lot of writers who recognize we've got to, we've got to deal with with um, with action as well. And I actually came across another quote in Augustine's City of God that I think just really perfectly captures this. Uh, this is um, something he says in in Book 19, in, in Chapter 19. He says, "No man has a right to lead such a life of contemplation as to forget in his own ease." the service due to his neighbor, nor has any man a right to be so immersed in active life as to neglect the contemplation of God. I thought that was just a really succinct way to put it. Um, And and that really captures what we're trying to do at American Reformer is is contemplation of the things of God and and what God says about life in this world, but also action, service towards our neighbor and, and so
0: on. And and I would like to riff on that for a moment. I mean, in fact, you know, there's actually, and I think you can see this in the American church, there's a type of corruption that comes from, um, you know, the life that's solely contemplative or solely active. And, you know, the the solely contemplative life has its own set of temptations. um, And it's really, you know, and, and especially modern society is, is so specialized and, you know, people tend to get uh, pulled into sort of siloed calls. Um, you know, it 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 the, the being the polymath, being the person who's both contemplative and active is difficult. And it also requires a person to uh, to some extent break out of the mold of, um, you know, the sort of the jobs and vocations that tend to be on offer in modern society um but yet i think yeah i think i think we're at that we're at that intersection and i think doing really interesting you know maybe the most interesting work at at sort of that intersection and i guess you know to put it to put a fine point on it in today's current context um i think people who are very culturally or politically active um Maybe, maybe, or even business people who um, you know are on Main Street and sort of see what's going on in our institutions, they tend to have quite a sense of urgency um, about the state of our society. Um, you know, but don't don't always know how to act in the most effective or principled ways, right they they no. don't have they don't always have access to the intellectual resources that are in our Christian tradition. Um, you know, on the, on the flip side, I think those who are solely dedicated to the life of the mind, um, you know, can be, can sometimes be insulated or, um, not properly sensitized to just how, how difficult things are out there. I mean, I I think especially, you know, if, uh, I've even noticed this in myself for the past year since I joined a, a Christian organization, but, um, when when you when you work with uh, you know coworkers who are Christian, when you're not under the threat of cancellation for expressing basic Christian views, it actually <laughs> it does lessen the sense of urgency that you used to feel. Um, it, it it's so crucial for those of us that are ensconced in in you know relatively canceled proof spaces to to remember the pressure that um, a lot of our brothers and sisters are under every single day. Yeah. No,
1: I think it's, it's good to, um, to talk to, to them, you know, when we're at church and things like that, that's, that's one thing that's been helpful for me to keep me grounded because I mean, I'm honest, I've spent my whole, my whole career in pretty insulated worlds where I've, I've been safe Mm -hmm. um, from, from those kinds of pressures for the most part. And then I go to church and I talk to, talk to my, my friends at church and, I realize most of them are really feeling this, Um, and and a lot of them, I'd say, they they think you know it's just one one misstatement, it's just one refusal to put pronouns in your your email or whatever, and you're gone, and um, and and yeah, you're exactly right. They they feel that, and you know that's that's one of the things. You know, we're sort of in the orbit of of the new right and um and our our associate editor Timon klein had written that recent piece on on whether we should even use the word conservative anymore and and that's one of the things we're we're kind of focused on is that we have to act and i think that if there's anything that defines broadly the the emphases of of this whole movement it's we have to act we have to actually do something and not okay. just not just wring our hands and not just talk, but we actually have to to do something, and some of that's going to make for some discomfort because um actually acting rather than talking means that there are going to be consequences in the real world um and um and that can be unpleasant sometimes, yeah so
0: yeah yeah and 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 the um yeah, and the action i mean we're we're I guess in, con- in, in distinction from, from uh, a lot of other good Christian resources out there, um, we are, we're an expressly Christian institution, but a lot of the action that we're, we're seeking is, is informing action in the temporal world, right? I mean, it's not, mm-hmm. you know, we're not primarily about, I mean, we do have some content on, uh, you know, devotional material and things like that. But primarily we're talking about bringing Christian principles to bear uh, for how you act, um, in the temporal world, uh, at a time that's very, uh, very confusing for a lot of people. And yeah. people might be tempted to act out of anger, desperation. Um, you know, but, but we need, you know, we do, we do have a set of, we have a framework for evaluating what we should be doing, um, you know, culturally, politically and all the rest yeah
1: and that, that's I mean that's really the 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 kind of final point about what we're doing with the journal that i would that I would emphasize is is uh I mean it's called academically it's called Protestant Resourcement, but uh you know you could you could put it more colloquially it's it's trying to to look at what we can learn from the past what how Protestants have approached things like uh, the state and uh, state power and the relationship between church and state and all of these different things and, and of course we wouldn't be uh, we wouldn't exclude um, christianity prior to the reformation but we do we do focus on how it's been developed in in uh, protestantism and, and we're looking you know we're not looking to to kind of nostalgically uh, go back to a, a lost age and exactly reproduce all of the forms that that might have existed in say um, a, a Protestant city state in in the 16th century or, or something like that. It's mm-hmm. more that we're we're trying to look for insights, kinds of things that that they saw that might be missed today, might be even kind of foreign to our thinking today, but could be really important, could even be really helpful. I, you know, example that comes to mind for me is I think for so many people and Christians included. This kind of radical secularism that we've had in America, increasingly since the the 40s and 50s, the 60s, um, it, it seems self evident. It seems like it's just uh, built into the fabric of the universe. And uh, I, I think Timon is right that we should call this public atheism um, it, rather than secularism. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's a kind of it's kind of a state mandated stance of basic atheism that you have to assume that and everything else is is out of bounds and i think a lot of christians a lot of evangelical christians have imbibed that that way of thinking yeah. and one of the things we're trying to do is is we can take them back to these older protestant writers without having to, to try to reproduce everything that they that they might have done politically in their day we could show them. No, well, this isn't actually self-evident. Um, this this isn't um something that is just built into the fabric and the universe. Christians didn't think this way in the past, and uh and that um we we can learn something from them. You know, in the past, uh, Protestants would have argued for established churches. You don't even necessarily have to go that far. Maybe that's legitimate. Uh, we mm-hmm. can debate that, and we of course we've debated that in our, our pages. Um but you you can show that this this idea of radical secularism that is is problematic, and there's just there's a better way. Um, there's a better way of thinking about this. And so we're trying to to bring those kind of ideas uh, to the forefront, and uh, to do so in a way that could could lead to to action. You know I find it really interesting. i've I've been more involved lately in my my county's um, Republican Party, just um, trying to learn the ropes and what's going on in the county level. And I think a lot of those people, you know, if you, if you were to try to argue for, let's let's go back to the 16th century and let's let's have a, an official state church and, and so on, I think they'd probably be somewhat horrified by that. Um, but these are like really, really strongly right-leaning people. Um, who who recognize that I think in their gut that kind of a radical secularism just isn't right. You know that yeah. that um, that we um, that we we weren't that way in the past. They, at least they I think they intuit this. And one of the things we're trying to do is show them that their intuitions are right, and well, and and we can
0: help them. I, I want I have to jump in here. I'm just yeah yeah of, please do. I'm, I'm, I'm dying to talk about all the um, the analogs I've seen in, in some of my circles, um, but, you know, when we talk about radical secularism, I mean, you're talking about, um, like, the Supreme Court Justice Earl Warren, who, you know, after 200 years of us existing as a nation, somehow finds in the Constitution that, you know, he, as a Supreme Court judge, is entitled to stop some small town football coach, you know, from saying a prayer on the football field at a public high school, right. Who basically, you know, to put it differently, basically says any expression of faith by a public official in a public area is establishment um, in a way that violates the establishment clause. And, oh, by the way, you know, the federal government uh, gets to stop the states from doing things like that, which was itself an innovation So you've got that happening on the one hand, and then you've got guys like John Rawls um, saying things like, um, you know, a law should not be passed. A law should not be passed unless it can be defended with a public reason. And by public reason, he means um, a non-religious reason. So this sounds neutral, but it's a trick. And what it actually does is it it excludes any religious reason and it only allows secular reasoning. It's not neutral. It just ends up favoring one, you know, metaphysical system over another.
1: Yeah, state Um, mandated atheism.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. And so this is all happening in the sixties and seventies. And, you know, you get these, uh, the culture warrior Christians and Aaron Wren writes about, you know, these frameworks quite well, but you know, the culture warrior Christians fight back against this and um, and then the culture warriors to, to varying degrees, uh, you know, fail or, or reach the limits of their success. And then you've got a wave of, of Christian intellectuals who I would say more or less uh, try to make a negotiated uh, surrender to um, 20th post-war liberalism and you know in in my church group denomination the, the main character you might have in mind here is you know someone like russell moore um you know i think uh keller probably represents this to some degree in the presbyterian side um but th- these are and not to not to uh the, these are figures who um to to varying degrees actually attempt to baptize or christianize uh, Rawlsian viewpoints about uh, viewpoint diversity, uh, secularism in the public square, and so so when we in our journal and elsewhere when we attempt to roll this back, you know we're not you know <laughs> you don't have to go back to Geneva, you don't have to exactly. uh, embrace any form of integralism. I mean, you're just you know just by going just by rolling the clock back seventy years on some of these things, you're doing something that. Um, the average American perceives to be radical, even the average american christian,
1: yeah, no they, they those those figures you you've talked about and others like them, they've been very persuasive. um again, it just seems self-evident to so many Christians that this this has to be the case. and yes. yeah we're, we're we're trying to 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 help Christians see that that's not accurate in America's past. That's not how the founders talked. That's not how. Most American Christians and politicians and Supreme Court justices and senators and presidents, that's not how they talked, Um, you know, even even up until the 60s. um, Mm -hmm. You know, they just didn't speak like that. They didn't think like that. And uh, we've had we've had a lot of good articles that are that are showing that. And that's that's kind of one of our, our emphases is to try to to. Just wake people up to America's own past. In addition to taking people mm-hmm. back to these older Protestant sources, uh, and I think I think we've we've been uh, good at that. I mean, I can I can puff Timon's articles again. He's really good. Uh, Timon Klein is really good at that um, uh, with with America's history. And you know, that's the kind of thing I think grassroots uh, in America politically. Yeah. I think they'd be. Ve- I think you could be pretty persuasive on something like that. To show them, you know, this is just sixty years of activist judicial um, action. That's not what we have been historically. Let's go back to what we went, what we were before. It was better, and I think that mm-hmm. I think you could see a lot of a lot of people persuaded by that um, in, in a way that they probably wouldn't be if you're saying, "Well, we need to reestablish, um, um, you know, a, a Protestant city-state or, or things like that." And we can have those debates too. Um, we're not we're not afraid to have those debates either. Yeah. Well, maybe uh, to to uh, bring this to a close, we could uh, we could just um, go over what we're going to do in the podcast, kind of the the structure. And uh, obviously, you can uh, jump in on any of this as well. But um, we had a kind of three part structure that we we're going to go through. It's going to be loose. Uh, we're going to be feel free to kind of take this wherever wherever we feel like it. Um, but in general, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about things that we're reading at the beginning. Um, and then uh, we're going to move into a section about topics of the day, things that are in the news. And uh, we always want to end with with some sort of discussion of theology or scripture or just practice in general. You know, how, how can we think practically? Um, about these matters so that we're not just talking about everything that's wrong in the world, because there's a lot that's wrong. uh, But uh, we we don't want to paralyze people with fear either. We want to encourage them to trust in the Lord and to go out into the world and and act
0: and leave the results up to God. Mm, Absolutely. Um, And uh, are we... Are we going to skip a uh, a sectarian violence section? <laughs> I thought we were going to have sectarian violence. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so that, <laughs>
1: that, that, I guess that's my, my my nicer way of saying uh, that at the end was theology and, and practice. Yes. Yeah. No. no, yes. we uh, we talked about um, because uh, uh, Josh is a, a Baptist and I'm a Presbyterian, and so uh, we, we we will also uh, occasionally duke it out and uh, and bring some friends in uh, from from other um, other uh, Protestant uh, perspectives and and others and, and duke it out with them too. You know, one of the things we want to do on this is, um, is show that we can have a kind of manly debate and, uh, and really go after each other and not be so hypersensitive and scandalized by really vigorous debate. You know, we don't have to hate each other because we, we, uh, we, uh, take these things seriously enough to, to, uh, Strive after the truth vigorously.
0: Excellent. I look forward to it. Um, I've got a long list of things to have beefs with you about. And I yeah. can't wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are good. Well, I, I've got we, a bone to pick with you. We'll, we'll uh, have uh, it yeah. out. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll do yeah. it. it, it uh, in all seriousness, uh, really excited about this podcast series. I hope folks find it helpful. Um always happy to hear uh suggestions input questions uh you know if there's topics that folks would like us to do a deep dive on we're, we're always happy to hear about that and um yeah we hope to this will be coming out regularly on a weekly week, week, weekly schedule so um be great if folks uh subscribe uh find a way to fit it into your uh weekly routine um we will be here on a regular basis and uh You can count on us for 30 to 45 minutes every week of uh, uh, thought-provoking and hopefully encouraging content. Yeah, and
1: please check out our website, AmericanReformer.org. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is AMReformer um, at Twitter, and then we're also on Facebook. You can follow us there. Uh, We look forward to having you tune in every week. And uh, until next time, uh, we will see you all later.
0: Thank you for listening to the American Reformer podcast. Make sure to visit us online at AmericanReformer.org. That's AmericanReformer.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at AMReformer.